once again. Yeah, welcome to FBC. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Just so glad that you are with us. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible with me to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. And again, this is one of those books where nobody has to be embarrassed about not being able to find the book in your Bible, okay? It's like one page, maybe two pages in your Bible. It's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And so uh, you're probably going to have to use the table of contents to find it. Or if you have a smartphone, just use the app. Our dear sister Sue Wing told me last week that she found the book of Haggai in under 10 seconds without using the table of contents. And we've, you know, put a task force together to investigate those claims because I'm not sure if we believe her. I'm just kidding, Sue. We believe you. We love you. Anyways, join me in uh, the book of Haggai chapter 1, where we're shifting gears here just for a few weeks. We've been in the Gospel of John, and we're taking three weeks now to study the book of Haggai together uh, in conjunction with this fall kickoff, where we are talking about the third quarter. So we're going to jump into that. If you missed last week, we talked a lot about the third quarter. Maybe you've seen this logo floating around. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, or uh, you maybe forgot about part of it, you're probably wondering, hey, what's the whiteboard about? And the whole, you know, play football thing going on and the clipboard. And last week I heard Matt blew a whistle on stage. And, you know, so maybe you're wondering what this is all about. This is our uh, a church-wide emphasis for the fall. The third quarter is this big umbrella that we want to use to capture some ideas that we want to roll out as a church family. And the metaphor, of course, comes from the world of sports. Where we said, hey, in the world of sports, halftime is a break in the action where the players and the coaches have a minute to stop, evaluate, reflect, think about what's gone well in the first half, what changes need to be made, what needs to look def different as we step back out into the third quarter, okay? Uh, poorly coached teams, bad teams like my beloved Sacramento Kings, they go into the third quarter and they don't change anything and they're terrible and they lose. But good teams will make adjustments and say, hey, like in light of this break, we've had time to think what's working well, what's not. Let, let's make some changes so that we can be more successful going forward. And so the parallel, of course, is thinking about our, our church family, our community. Really, our world uh, has just had this life. huge break in the action, this huge disruption in the flow of life in COVID, right? We have 18 months so far of disruption. Life has been put on pause in so many ways, and we're not quite out of the woods yet, right? I know we're not out of the woods yet, but we're the closest to normal we've been in a long time, and so we're starting to think and wonder, hey, what is life going to look like on the other side of this thing? As we rebuild, you know, our lives and our communities, we're getting back into, you know, established habits and rhythms like school and things are in session. So we're trying to figure out uh, what needs to look different as we engage in our third quarter moment, you could say. As the game picks up again and we jump back into life, how does our game plan need to change? That's what the third quarter is all about. Uh, Jesus, of course, is the head coach of this team, but in his grace and kindness, he's allowed uh, <clears throat> some pastors to be assistant coaches on his staff, so to speak. And so we're going to be uh, talking about a few things together. Last week, we rolled out these three uh, main ideas, uh, which are going to be on the screen if you can't see over here. The fundamentals, uh, preparation, and game time. Okay, so throughout the fall, those are going to be the three ideas that we keep going back to in terms of uh, what do we need to remember in the third 
quarter. Last week, we talked about the fundamentals. So if you missed it, we talked about the fundamentals saying, hey, sometimes a good coach doesn't need to roll out a trick play or some new slick, fancy strategy that they just came up with. Sometimes a good coach just simply says, hey, you need to remember the basics. Right? Just remember the fundamentals of the game. We're not going to overcomplicate it, overthink it. Just remember the things that you've always known to be true and walk in them. And so we talked about the fundamentals uh, of a church family in the sense of, hey, gathering for worship. In the sense of uh, living life in community, in small groups. Uh, the fundamental of just reading the Bible for yourself and having time in prayer daily with the Lord. So we talked about the basic rhythms and commitments like that, that we, as we step out into the third quarter, want to make sure we don't overlook those things. And so we invited you, if uh, you'd like to join us, we're reading through the New Testament as a church family starting September 3rd. And so if you've uh, never read through the New Testament, this is a great opportunity to do that. Read the words of Jesus for yourself. If you uh, have read through it before, this is a chance to do it Again, maybe if you started our uh, Bible reading plan back in January, uh, if you started and maybe fell behind or got off track and you gave up because you were too far behind somewhere in the book of Leviticus, um, you can jump back in now to the New Testament and say, hey, fresh start, it's a new day, the third quarter, I'm jumping in and read through the New Testament with us. We're doing it on the Bible app. So what's cool about that is we can uh, each day add thoughts or reflections or questions, things that we're learning, we can dialogue together about them. And so September 3rd, that's kicking off. On our website, we have a link to join the plan. We're also going to be emailing it out, so check your email if you haven't seen that. Uh, it should be in there, so you can join that plan with us. Again, don't worry about all the days, you know, the past few months going back to January. You don't have to catch up. Just start afresh September 3rd. Sound good? Okay, but today, today we're talking about the second were the second concept, uh, preparation. And we're using Haggai as our guide. We talked a bit about last week the context of the book of Haggai. Haggai is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and it's set in the year 520 B.C. Earlier in that century, earlier in the 6th century B.C., uh, the people of God were conquered by the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonians came in, and in an act of uh, judgment for the sin of God's people, they were taken away from the land. The temple was destroyed. They were brought away. Many of them lived in exile in Babylon. We see the writings of the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel speaking into this time. We see the story of the book of Daniel. If you're familiar with Daniel and the fiery furnace and the lion's den. Okay, that all is taking place during this Babylonian exile there. But then things change. And the Persians come in in 538 BC and they take out the Babylonians. And so now the Persians are in charge and Cyrus the Great, king of the Persians, allows the people of God, the Jews, to return to the land. He says, you guys don't have to be in exile anymore. Go home, rebuild your temple, do whatever you want to do. So they go in 538 BC home. So the story of Haggai picks up after the people have returned from exile, they're rebuilding their lives, they're rebuilding their communities. This is really their third quarter moment. They've had this huge disruption in life. Now they're back in the land, rebuilding, figuring out what life looks like after exile. But 
you were with us last week, you remember there's a problem. By this point in the writing of Haggai, it's about 18 years after their return, and many things have been rebuilt, but the temple of God is still in ruins. And so God comes to the people and he says, hey, I've noticed you've rebuilt your houses, made your houses all paneled and nice and complete, posting pictures of Instagram of your nice detailed houses after exile, but my house, the temple, it's still laying in ruins. So God points out, hey, what's, what's going on here? It seems like you, you've uh, set your priorities in a way that doesn't align with mine. You're neglecting me, you're neglecting my house, you're neglecting proper worship and just going about your business in all these different ways. I want you to see what God says in verse uh, 5 of chapter 1 to the people. He says this, Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and, and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So as we talked about last week, God comes to the people and he says, hey, I want you to reset your priorities. But in all this time and all this effort and all this energy into building your house while neglecting mine, while neglecting proper worship of me, while not really paying much attention to me and my ways, I want you to change that. Verse 8, go up to the mountain. Get the timber you need, get the supplies you need, and start to rebuild the temple. And right before he does this, you notice what he says in verses 5 through 7. He says, hey, things aren't really going that well for you right now, are they? He says, you're working really hard, and you're trying to harvest, but you're not getting much food, and you're, you're still hungry, and you're still thirsty, and you have clothes, but you're not really warm, and you're probably pretty exhausted, and you're probably pretty weary, and you have full days, and you're working hard, but you're not getting much return for your investment. Money's falling right through your pockets. So God's pointing out to them, hey, doing things your way isn't really working for you, is it? And he says, I want you to notice that. Look at the repetition in verse 5 and 7. Twice, this phrase, kind of like bookends. He says, give careful thought to your ways. Maybe your translation says, consider your ways. The, the Hebrew in the phrase more literally says, set your heart on your ways. In other words, he, God's calling the people. Say, I want you to think about your life. I want you to reflect on what's going on. Think about your priorities. I want you to think about where your time is going. I want you to think about where your money is going. I want you to think about the things that you're setting your heart on. I want you to see, is your life in line with me? Points out, consider your ways. And then he points out, hey, again, as you're moving away from the worship of God, you're moving away from the blessings of God. You're breaking the covenant. You haven't rebuilt the temple. And things aren't going very well for you. Now it's important to notice here that he, he points out, hey, you guys aren't just victims of circumstance. You know, he's like, you guys are making really bad choices. <laughs> and your priorities are out of whack. Now, now we should note that's, that's not always the case. 
when it comes to the message of Scripture. The, the Bible has a lot to say about the oppressed, about those who are taken advantage of, about uh, injustice, about people who are victims of injustice, about the, the downtrodden. The Bible has plenty to say about that. God comes alongside those who are oppressed and victimized, and he cares for them and is near to them. But, but here, I'm just pointing out, that's not the case here. God's just pointing out, hey, your priorities are all out of whack. You're making bad decisions, and that's why things aren't going well for you. That's what he says to his people in the book of Haggai. So he just says, okay, give careful thought to your ways. Stop and consider. Think about these things. Think about your habits, your priorities. Instead of being you know, just tossed by the waves of circumstance or culture or convenience, really think about how you want to live and how I'm calling you to live. Skip ahead with me to chapter 2 in verse 10. We're going to come back to 1 through 9 next week. But I want you to look at verse 10 and on for a minute. We see kind of the same message going on. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. So this is now a few months after chapter 1, okay? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment... And that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food. Does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. And then Haggai said, well, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. So it might maybe is a confusing text for some of us. We're like meat and consecration and defilement and dead bodies. Like what's what's going on here in the text? Let's let's think through. It's actually really interesting what the Lord is doing. He's opening up uh, through the prophet Haggai this dialogue with the priests, and he's having a conversation with them about holiness and defilement. Okay, if we look back into the Old Testament, we know that for the Jews, especially seen uh, in the book of Leviticus, are these big concepts of clean and unclean, right? Of what is pure and holy and what is defiled, what is, uh, cannot be in the presence of God. And so there's all these regulations in the Old Testament it was very serious for the people to realize the holiness of God, that God is pure God is not tainted by sin or death or defilement. And so you cannot come if you were unclean and, and tainted by death into the presence of God. God was pure and holy. You were not to approach God with impurity. And so Haggai's pointing out, saying basically, hey, holiness doesn't spread super easily, but defilement does in verse 13, right? He says on the flip side, if, if someone has contact with a dead body, and then they go touch other things. The things that they touch then become, what, unclean as well. And the priests say, yes, that's how it works. They become impure. They're affected by that as well, these food sacrifices and so on. And God says, okay, that's what's going on with my people. In verse 14, they have touched something unclean. And now their offerings, their works, the things that they do, the works of their hands are defiled. So think about this in context of rebuilding the temple. 
Like, hey, they've now for a few months now gotten back to work and they're, they're building the temple. And the works of their hands are, are put to uh, the temple so that God's house is rebuilt. But, God's saying, hey, if they don't have clean hearts, if their hearts are not clean, if their hearts do not change, if their hearts are not repentant, then the works of their hands are still tainted and defiled. And so he's pointing out to them, hey, I don't want you to just go through the motions. I don't want just a bunch of religious checkboxes for my people to check off. What they need, right, is, is cleansing, is internal cleansing, is renewal by the grace of God. And so here we can stop and remember the parallel to the gospel, how last week we talked about uh, the fundamentals. We talked about church. We talked about, you know, reading the Bible. We talked about being in a small group. And I just want to point out, it's really possible to, to hear that message last week and think about these things, these changes. And I'm going to come to church more. And yeah, I'm going to join a small group. And I'm going to read my Bible uh, really regularly in the morning and so on. It's possible to do those things without our hearts truly being in them, right? And we just think, well, if I just go through the motions and jump through the external hoops, then, you know, God's going to be happy with me and that's what's going to secure my place in his kingdom and so on. But, but we know that that's not the truth of the gospel, right? We know that God doesn't want just the, the external cleansing or the appearance of godliness or the religious check boxes, you could say God wants to get to a matter of the heart, that our hearts need to be cleansed. We're uh, reminded of what the Bible teaches about the human condition, right? Our sin, our, how we've turned from God, how we need to be washed and forgiven, and reconciled to God. And the good news, of course, is that this comes to us uh, through the work of Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, the New Testament tells us we are forgiven, washed by his blood, cleansed by his sacrifice. So we remember the gospel. I wanted to make it really clear for everyone here this morning that, again, our status before God, our relationship with God is not by works, is not by going through the religious motions, is not even by something as, as noble as rebuilding the temple in the book of Haggai. In the house of the Lord, God wants our hearts. Now look how the passage continues in verse 15. It says, now give careful thought to this. There it is again, right? Repeated. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day, the ninth month, give careful thought, there it is again, to the day when the foundations of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit? From this day on, I will bless you. Okay, a few, few things going on in that section, right? First, you see the, the repetition, again, of what that phrase, give careful thought. The same phrase that we saw in chapter 1. 
When we see repetition in the Bible, that's uh, basically the Bible's highlighter, okay? The authors of the Bible didn't have, you know, dollar store highlighters, you know, back to school supplies or like, boom, I'm going to make sure they know this is important with my highlighter. Instead, they would often repeat things to really drive home, hey, here's what I want to stand out. And so in this short little book, only two chapters, five different times, twice in chapter one, three times here in chapter two, it's repeated. Consider your ways. Give careful thought to your lives, essentially. And so here, in these verses, you see that God, again, is pointing out, hey, the, the way things are going for you, it's not going very well, right? He's talking about, hey, your, uh, your, your fig trees, the olive trees, your vines, um, you know, all these things that you're looking to, they're, they're not working well. You're not getting a return. The harvest is not going well. God says, I, I've actually uh, worked against you in these ways. I'm not blessing your work because I want you to wake up <laughs> and turn to me even though the people are not doing that yet. And so, in light of all this, he's saying, give careful thought to your ways. And so, a few application, uh, applications, reminders from that idea. First, God doesn't want your mindless, involuntary obedience. God doesn't want your mindless obedience. Yes, uh, there are times where we are called to trust God in the dark valleys where we cannot see, to walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, there are times where, where things don't make sense to us, and so we cling to God even though we don't fully understand absolutely part of the Christian life. But in much of life, God invites us to, to think, to use our minds, to reason, to discern, to make intentional decisions about how we are going to live and how we're going to prioritize our lives and our time and, and make the most of the resources and things he's entrusted to us. He says, I want you to think about these things. I want you to make intentional decisions about following me and walking in my ways. Jesus said in Matthew 22, if you think about what was the greatest commandment, remember when he's asked about that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind. Jesus says that the greatest commandment, most important thing for you as one of my followers to do, love God with your heart, soul, and your mind. Don't check your mind at the door. Use it to follow me faithfully. And we've seen throughout Christian history, we have a rich tradition of theologians, authors, thinkers, scientists, men and women who have gone before us and as Christians used their minds to glorify God and bless the world. Hey, also we can point out that anti-intellectualism, if we're saying, hey, because in some strands of Christianity there's this anti-intellectualism, you know, check your mind at the door, don't think about it, don't worry, uh, that has borne some, some bad fruit. J.P. Moreland is an author and professor of apologetics, and he referenced recently this uh, Barna research poll from, I think, a number of years ago. Uh, Barna is a, a research group that often tries to understand big cultural trends, especially in relation to Christianity. And there was this research poll that was looking at why millennials, millennial, why young people are uh, leaving the church or abandoning the faith. And so they asked a bunch of people about it, and they heard a number of things, and they kind of compiled, here are the top six uh, answers that we heard for why people are not following Jesus or abandoning the church. Um, and here's what they said. 
the, the top six. Uh, first was the church is overprotective and fails to expose people to anti-Christian ideas. Uh, the church, number two, the church's teaching is too shallow. Number three, the church is antagonistic to science. Number four, the church treats sexuality simplistically and judgmentally. Number five, the church makes exclusive claims. And number six, the church is dismissive of doubters. Now, again, we probably have different opinions and feelings about those answers that were given. And some of those, you know, I'm not really bothered by. The church makes exclusive claims. Well, yeah, we do. I mean, you know, some of that just, it is what it is. Um, but, but some of these things are, are troubling, right? Because some of them, and J.P. Moreland points this out, is that almost every reason listed there involves a failure to engage the life of the mind and, and give thoughtful question, answers to questions, right? to invite skeptics. And yeah, bring your doubts and let's talk through this together. Right? We don't, I think church can be a place where that takes place rather than expecting you know, shallow commitment or shallow devotion or shallow thought life or, or, or not welcoming doubts. We can say, hey, let's talk about these things together and engage our minds in a meaningful way way. So if you have doubts, questions, um, first, welcome to the club, okay? We're all wrestling with things. And second, let's not dismiss them, but rather let's have a conversation together in community, work through some of these big questions of life. And so I think that's the invitation in the book of Haggai, right? God comes to the people and says, consider your ways. Like, think about how you're living. Think about what you believe. Think about your priorities, and he invites them to, to engage in this way. Give careful thought. And so this is where we get to uh, back to the third quarter here and this second idea of preparation. If you ever watch football, which football season's back, can I get an amen? Woo, okay. Um, if you're watching a football game, you notice when the players come off the field, like the offense, you know, just finished doing what they're doing, they come off the field, You'll see them, they'll show this on TV, they're, you know, sitting down or they're getting their water and often they'll huddle around and they'll have like a little iPad out or some, you know, sad, you know, imitation version of an iPad, you know, a Microsoft <laughs> tablet or whatever. And they're, they're doing what? They're looking at the play or the plays that just happened. They're studying, okay, what, look at the film. What did we just see? What, what worked well in that sequence? What do we need to do differently? Or the players, if they're not, you know, huddled around a tablet, maybe they're just standing on the sidelines and they're watching. They're engaged. They're, they're looking at what's going on. They're thinking about, okay, when I go back in there, here's where the action is. Here, here's what needs to happen. Here's what my role is in that right there. They're preparing on the sidelines to get back in the game. And so... Uh, I want to invite us as a church to maybe step into that process a little bit more fully, saying, hey, when we're not in the game, so to speak, meaning when we have our downtime, when we are in the car, when we have quiet nights at home, after the kids go to bed, when we have alone time, whatever it might be, are we using that time to prepare our minds for the game? For when we're back out there to, to jump in beyond Sunday morning, are we reading, learning, studying, engaging our minds, and fully devoting them to the Lord. Again, sometimes I think um, maybe we, we struggle to do this, and we'll come to church, and it's great, uh, but then maybe during the week we don't always 
uh, give ourselves to other resources to help us grow. And we'll, you know, I don't know, read uh, or be on social media or, you know, be on Netflix or streaming services. And we'll kind of entertain ourselves, which is not, not saying that you can never do those things, but sometimes we do those things and we, we don't make time for, for real intentional study and growth. And there's a few cultural trends working against us that I just want to uh, highlight. Some of the things that could get in the way as we attempt to do this. First, some of us have a hard time slowing down and thinking deeply for extended periods of time. And one of uh, the difficulties with that is we, we work really hard. Maybe you're here and you're like, you feel overworked. You're exhausted by your job. It's hard to get work off the brain. Uh, Pastor John Mark Comer writes about some culture, he trends that have shaped kind of modern life. And I want to share a little bit of that with you. He notes in his book this famous Senate subcommittee hearing. Some of you have probably heard about this before, where back in 1967, the Senate subcommittee hearing basically discovered or d- discerned that because of all these time-saving technologies that are being introduced into the world back in 1967, all these modern technologies, by the year 1985, they said, the average American would only work 22 hours a week. And only 27 weeks a year. Okay? So back in 1967, they're like, look at all this technology. Look at all these great devices we're putting out into the world. By 1985, we're going to work 22 hours a week on average. It's going to be great. We're going to be having leisure time out, coming out of our ears. We're going to be sipping Mai Tais, you know, on a beach somewhere half the year. It's going to be fantastic. But that didn't happen, did it? And actually, instead of our leisure time increasing, it's actually shrunk. Over the years, Comer again states that the average American now works nearly four more weeks per year than they did in 1979. So rather than having more time for rest, more time for leisure, more time for contemplation, deep thinking, reflection, instead now we're more worked, we're busier, we live more hectic lives. Life is is, uh, quicker than ever. Now, not only is our relationship with work a problem with this, but think about uh, the Internet and smartphones. Okay, John Mark Comer, again, same author, references this other book called The Shallows, called What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And it says this. He says, what the net, the Internet, seems to be doing is chipping away my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Whether I'm online or not, my mind now expects to take in information the way the net distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. That was so insightful, right? Because in the, in the information age, even if you're not on social media, there's this expectation that, that answers and ideas are quick and quippy and come easily. And, you know, we, just, we don't have the sort of attention spans that we used to for longer dialogue and reflection. Uh, there's actually studies that have shown how our attention spans are shrinking. Uh, and not to mention the fact that social media and our smartphones are literally designed, the apps on here are literally designed to steal as much of our attention as they can. Like that's their goal, is to steal our attention, 
So they're working actively against it. I'm not saying that these aren't amazing tools and, you know, social media and other things have brought good things to the world as well. But we just need to be aware of the dangers that these things are working against us to make us distracted. And that just eats away at our ability to, to reason, to, to think deeply. Often instead we're, we're driven by emotion, right? And we're shaped by just like quick one-liners, right? A, a crafty uh, Instagram story or some little, you know, 140-character post rather than like really reasoned, deep thought. Now, I'm not advocating that we go, you know, purchase land up in the Napa Valley and create, you know, like a separate society and become monks and throw off our phones and all that. I'm not saying that we need to do that necessarily. I'm saying we need to be thoughtful about where our time and attention is going. Haggai says, again, give careful thought to your ways. Now I realize this may all be an overgeneralization. Maybe you're here and you're like, this doesn't describe me at all. I'm not even on the interwebs. Or I don't even, you know, what's, what's a Twitter? I don't know. I just, um, and if that's you, great. And you, you engage with, with books and, and, and community in really healthy ways. Awesome. We're, we're giving out some free books. And uh, our sister Jane, uh, when she walked in, we gave them out last week. And she walked in this week. She's like, I almost finished the book. And I was like, the deadline wasn't until the end of September. And you already finished the book. So she's, you know, rocking and rolling. Maybe some of you are like, again, Pastor, like, we, we, you know, we're already really dialed in with this, and if that's you, great. But I know that for a lot of us, myself included, we can struggle with this sometimes. And so here's an action step, a, a response, something that we as a church want to try and do to counteract some of this. And really live out what Haggai's saying is to, to give careful thought to your ways. What we're going to do is for every month this fall, uh, we're going to put out a list of basically recommended resources on our website and invite you to engage with them. We're going to call it the monthly challenge. If you were with us back in the spring, we had a monthly challenge every month. Uh, spring was really focused on outreach, right, on our fourth core commitment to go, go where you are. Uh, and so our monthly challenges in the spring were like, you know, do an act of kindness for your neighbor. Ask one of your neighbors about what they believe and listen, you know, share the gospel. They were really outward, people-focused monthly challenges this time, again, they're going to be more uh, personal, internal uh, steps. The monthly challenge is to engage with these resources each month. And some of you are like, sweet, I don't have to talk to people. I'm about that. I'm really uh, do these. And maybe some of you are like, oh, I don't want to do those. I don't know. But that's going to be the plan. And so uh, what we're going to do is each month we're going to put out a few uh, podcasts, a few articles, and basically a book of the month that we want to invite you to engage with with us. And an easy way to remember this, to access these resources, is on your seat when you came in, you saw our fancy new refrigerator magnet. And so we would, yeah, yeah, we can clap for the refrigerator magnet. Yes, thank you. Um, so, or, or I guess whatever else is magnetic and you want to put this on. The idea with the fridge is, hey, you're going to see it every day. Uh, you're going to be reminded of it. But on this magnet is, of course, our snazzy third quarter logo, but also a little QR code. Now, uh, if you're like me, you might won't be wondering what in the world is a QR code, okay? Because until recently, I was not sure. A QR code, this little box, maybe you've seen those around or seen them on menus or seen them out in the world somewhere. Basically, what you can do is if you have a modern phone, you know, within the past few years, I think, you should be able to open up your camera on your phone, okay, and point it at that little box. You can test it right now if you want. 
pointed at that little box, and a little thing is going to come up, say, do you want to open this? And you just click it, and it takes you to the web page that has all the resources right there. Um, if that is intimidating to you, and you're like, I don't want to do that, like none of us after the service on staff, we could show you how to use the QR code. Um, but if you're still like, no, don't want to do it, you can go to uh, our website, and on the home page, scroll down just a little bit in our little third quarter section, you'll see a little link that says, access our September resources. So if you don't want to do the whole QR code thing, you can still just go to our website, like, um, you know, whenever you want, and you can find them there. Make sense? Okay, and so the idea is uh, we want to shape these resources. They're not just going to be random, and hey, here's like a cool article, but we wanted to be thoughtful about how we move through the fall. And so we said, hey, we have uh, four months in the fall, September, October, November, December. We have four core commitments as a church. Yeah? Yeah? See where that's going? Okay, yeah. So we said, hey, what if one, each month we took one of our core commitments and the articles, resources, books were kind of shaped around that idea, unpacking that a little bit. So, for example, the month of September... All of the resources that we're recommending are, are basically around the idea of worship. What does it mean to worship? Uh, what does it mean to, to follow uh, Jesus faithfully, to give your whole self to him? How is worship, uh, again, more than just music on Sunday to help us kind of chew on some of those ideas? And then in the month of uh, October, the resources will be geared around community, the idea of connecting, and so on. And so the idea is we're going to put these out there each month and encourage you to engage. And then a couple things are going to be happening where we can discuss those ideas. First, if you're in a small group, your small group leaders will be asking you about how those resources are going. So you can have some good discussions in your small groups about them. Two, we're going to have at the end of September, we're still going to work on the date. Uh, it's probably going to be a Sunday night. We're going to, in the last week of September, we're going to have an event that you can come out to where we process and discuss the resources for the month. So you can come out to that. We'll let you know about the date uh, for that. And then <clears throat> also we're going to have on Facebook a discussion group where if you are on Facebook, you can join us there. We're going to get the link out and share that widely uh, here this week so that uh, you can join the discussion there. And we'll have just some posts that talk about, hey, you read this article. Uh, what was the takeaway from it? What about this idea? And so that way some dialogue can take place there as well. Some of you are like, Pastor, you're confusing. You just talked about how social media is bad and not helpful, and now you're pointing people to it. I know, um, but it's, you know, the best way we can figure to do it. So uh, if you're on Facebook already, uh, join us. If you're not on Facebook, you can join uh, in order to participate, but we'd understand if you just want to have that in your small group or discussion in another way. Um, the last thing about this I want you to know is that in the lobby, we have that book table with gentle and lowly on book and a free journal, and we have enough to give everybody a copy of that book and a journal. And so if you are here, um, which you are, we'd love for you to grab a free book on your way out. That's our book of the month for September. And so this way, there's, there's no excuses. You can't be like, oh, I forgot to buy it, or I don't want to, where do I find it, or I don't, you know, how does Amazon work, or whatever. Just, we have copies here. We'd love for you to grab one and start reading through it. And again, we'll discuss it kind of towards the end of the month of September. Last week, again, some people were here and they walked out without a free book. And I was just like, it's a free book. So please, please do take advantage of it and enjoy it. 
I believe that's all the details I wanted to get through. So I know mornings like this are always tough because we, we jump into the text and there's this you know, exposition of what's going on there. And then we talk for a little while about uh, these details and specifics and logistics. And I know that sometimes can be a, feel like a, a, a change of gears, but, but both are important. So we just wanted to make sure you knew what was going on with the third quarter. With that, friends... I want to close in prayer and also remind us again that with all this, again, maybe it feels like this feels like a lot. This is a lot of work or feels like uh, maybe a little overwhelming to think about. One, I just want to remind you of the promise that we see throughout the book of Haggai. It's one in verse 19 we saw it where God says, I will bless you. And two, in chapter one, we see the promise of I'm with these. Right, so God does not just send us out and say, hey, get to work for me. Jump through these hoops. God says, hey, I'm, I'm with you in this. I am for you. I am near to you. I'm going to walk this road with you. And so it's our joy to be able simply to to walk with the Lord in this way. Let's pray. Father, we we love you and thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for the joy of of child dedication and for the book of Haggai and how you just, uh, you speak to us through your word. And we pray that you'd help us to be a thoughtful, intentional people. Who, who consider our ways, who give careful thought to our lives and our priorities, that we would uh, give ourselves to things that matter. Lord, would you give us discernment and guide us going forward. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.